Welcome back to another episode of Reversing Course, the golf course restoration at Wakanda Club. I'm Rayanne Kinney. I'm the general manager here. I have here with me today golf course superintendent Dane Wilson and director of golf Aaron Kruger. Gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We are one more week in. I have something to say. We are 12 weeks. This is our 12th podcast. We committed ourselves to 14. Dare I say we're on the home stretch? I think so. For the podcast or the project? Both. All right. We timed the podcast with the project. We wanted to do 14 weeks because the project was 14 weeks. So, Dane, are we officially on the home stretch, you think? Uh, I think so. I think we're getting there. I, okay. So, that's, that sounds semi-convincing. Yeah, right? <laughs> Do you think with uh, two weeks to go, are we at the point where we can say we're going to be good for, uh, by the end of the next two weeks? I think that... Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> if we really think about the original t- uh, construction timeline, I mean, we were supposed to be done seeding by October 6th. And so taking that into consideration and us knowing what our window, window wanted to be, um, you know, I, I could see us trying to complete our last seat, initial seating, we'll call it. Um, the week of the 11th, I think inevitably there might be a hole or two that stretch into the 18th. Okay. So... You send out a daily uh, progress report to us, which is awesome. You're very, very organized. And on that progress report, you send us a chart that shows what's been completed and what date. Um, I don't know when you have time to to do all this record keeping, but thank you. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on this chart, it's nearing to full. Yeah, I mean... I, I kind of was sitting down there yesterday. I was maybe a little behind on it, but trying to catch up a little bit, at least from this past week. I was thinking it was almost like bingo. I'm just trying to fill up all the spots. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it was <clears throat> once I got caught up from this week, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, I mean, the majority, not the majority, but a lot of the you know, construction items or infrastructure items have been checked off in there. Now it's about just finishing things and putting seed on the ground. Right. So give us a synopsis of this week. So really big week for us. Um, you know, with the heat last week, we kind of held back a little bit, but it allowed us to do a lot of prepping. And so everything that we did last week really is showing itself this week. Um, so it was our goal to seed something every single day this week. And so far we've been able to do that. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 17 tees on Monday, 15 tees on Tuesday, majority 15 fairway on Wednesday we stopped short because we were still working around the green then we did 11 fairway on uh, Thursday as well as 14 and Friday we seeded five green and approach today we're tying in the rest of 15 and seeding the green as soon as I get out of here and then 12 fairway tomorrow so we'll, we'll stop short on 12 fairway too, just to give them some room to finish the bunker around the green. Okay. But really, really big week. So then that leaves us with what left to seed? Uh, 6, 13, 7, 8, 10, and 9. 
And so that that was the other aspect of it, I guess. Um, last weekend, we started pushing all the dirt on nine, and that was a significant amount of work. It took uh, the two, uh, well, Jim Ryan from Tyler Ray and then our shaper, took them three days just to put dirt in place. And then from there, another day and a half to build the bunkers and then core out the green and get, get that in position. So started draining that yesterday. They're going to finish that today. And then we've got one crew member from Wadsworth sticking through the weekend to get mix in. So nine does look significantly different. Yeah. Um, the There used to be this valley kind of in the, in the fairway, if you will, of nine. And it's gone. They've taken all of the dirt and filled that all in. They brought the green closer to the tees. I mean, it's significantly different and impacted. Uh, Aaron, how does that impact the how number nine will play? Yeah, I think it gives a uh, with the bring with the green coming closer. It makes it a, a shorter par three, and it mimics almost the same yardage uh, from the back tee. If you went to the left original green to the new green, which uh, the old the old new number nine um, that, that was wiped out, uh, that was built in 1988, was actually about 18 to 20 yards longer. So it gives us a much better yardage dispersion across all of our par threes. But then also, with that ridge line being gone, it, it just gives a much different visual. Instead of a valley within back ridge or back mounds behind a shallow green, now you're playing across almost like a plateau to an infinity green that's going to fall off. And then all you're going to see behind that green is number 10 and number 8 shared fairway with a huge deep bunker behind it, a big bunker on the left. And then we've brought back that four bunker on the right. That's kind of that visual deception we've talked about from mm-hmm. uh, last week's podcast with uh, some of the Golden Age architecture. I think it's going to play as a short par 3. I think it's going to play tough because the visuals are going to be much different. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to really have to trust your yardage. I think it's. I'm really excited to yeah. see it grow in. Yeah. And Dane, on that one specifically, we duplicated the practice green, which, as Aaron said, was the original uh, number nine mm-hmm. green. So we have that great specimen of what it originally was. Sitting right next to it. Right there. So we were able to GPS scan that and duplicate it. Do you, were you a part of that process or got to see any of that process at all? I talked to him a little bit, and Aaron was up there while they were doing it. But, yeah, we basically just went out and shot the grades of the existing old nine or left nine. And that's they use that as their template to build a new one. So I think this new one, though, is a bit grander in scale. And so some of those features that were within the old nine are still there, but they just might be accentuated a little bit, just stretched out. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the greens, build, rebuilding the greens process, so we finished up a few this week, five, 15, uh, working on nine. Um, Maybe we've walked out there, so maybe tell us a little bit about what kind of that process is because we see all of these stakes in the greens and they have lines written on them and, and all these things. Then Jim Ryan's out there with his, I don't know what these things are, all these tools and things. I don't know what he's doing. He looks like he's surveying highways or something. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about what all of that means. Yeah, well, so when they originally build the greens, so they'll actually build what we call the floor which is the base of the green and then you know when we go to finish everything we just add eight inches of sand on top of the drainage and whatnot but when they build the floor we smooth everything out with a skid steer just so we can look at it shoot the grades check everything make sure that the areas are pinnable 
and then we just bring in well so you put those stakes there to indicate you know what is eight inches and so it just makes our life a lot easier as we go to float the green or just move sand around just to get the same thing from the floor to the top of the sand so those stakes just help us you know, like I said, marked at eight inches, help move sand around, and then we also survey it once we get up top or use a total station, which is basically a GPS scan of the green, so that we replicate what is on the floor to the top of the sand. Mm -hmm. And then once you get everything in there, we pull the stakes. Once we get everything really close, pull the stakes, then we take a machine that you probably saw, the Sand Pro, uh, and then we just float it. So meaning we just take a either metal drag mat or a cocoa drag mat which is basically coconut fibers that help smooth things out mm -hmm. and then you just constantly spin it around the green just to smooth the surface hmm. so your crew is doing a lot of that work then a lot of the process of building these greens no our crew's not okay. building the new greens okay no so that that's somewhere between wadsworth and um tyler ray and jim okay um, and then Jim has, who's Jim Ryan, who's Tyler Ray's associate, he's here quite frequently yeah. uh, and mostly in shapers. He's, he's out shaping greens yep. and shaping bunkers and, and doing a lot of that. Yeah, so he's helped us with uh, tees on 17, some bunkers, definitely the greens. Uh, came in last weekend, helped us move all that dirt on nine so we could get closer to seeding that. So mm -hmm. he's been extremely helpful. I, I got to tell you, the green, or the tees on 17, I know I've talked to you guys about this before, but they just look spectacular. I, and Jim Ryan did those. I just didn't, I didn't realize, and this has happened so many times in this project to me, that once they start doing something or complete something, I'm just so amazed and going, oh my gosh. I mean, I know we're doing it, but you know, when you see it done or happening, it's just that much more and just that much better than you ever imagined it was going to be or than what you thought <laughs> they were doing. Um, you know, you say, oh, yeah, we're going to do 17 T's. You just can't describe what that is or show a, a 3D rendering good enough to show what that end result is. How natural they fit into that downslope and, and how much bigger they are compared to the old T's. So they'll be able to take all the divot traffic and be able to use different parts of that T and, and regrow instead of such narrow, yeah. wide T's that we used to have before. Um, they would just get beat and beat and beat. So the way they look right now, shaped in, it's you're, you're exactly right. It's stunning. It looks great. And 14, same way. Uh, those T's are larger as well mm -hmm. and just more well thought out. Uh, the cart path, everything just makes more sense. Um, but yeah, Jim Ryan, we see him in the in the shapers all the time, and and he's doing a lot of this work, which yep. doing a great job. Um, well, we have a lot of questions that have come in this week, so let's uh, shall we get into them? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, the first question was our irrigation system. Not the system itself, but the water. So right now we purchase water from the city. Uh, it's potable water. We, we have the same, that was part of this whole process is that we have the same tap for our, or the same main line for our clubhouse and the golf course for irrigation. And so we have two taps on there for, for those two things. The question that came into me this week was, have we thought about utilizing our own captured water out of our own ponds. And so, Dane, I will pose that question to you. Um, no. we Well, <laughs> not that we not have not thought about it, but it's just not feasible. Meaning, um, 
if you think about our reservoirs or our ponds that we do have, I mean, the majority of them are two, three feet deep. And so in order to have something like that, I mean, we need to create the, you know, we need to dig those out of, like extremely deep just to create that capacity in order to use it. But regardless, um, even if we were to do something like that, I would have some concerns. You know, the water that we do collect, it's not like we're, you know, in an open field where natural water is just coming to us and being filtered. The water that we receive on property is strictly all storm drainage. Mm -hmm. So everything that comes from the streets is the water that we would have. So if I think about that, I mean, it, it just... Let's just say the turf wouldn't like that for right, a number so you, of different reasons. Right, yeah. so you're dumping onto the turf then who knows what. Right. You have to test that all the time. You test have to it, treat am it. Amend that, yeah, and treat it so that you're you know, not just going to kill the grass with whatever it is that you're dumping on it. Right. Yeah. But at, at the same time, too, I think inevitably, especially with the stretch that we're in, say if we did have some sort of retention pond that we were pumping from, Regardless of the capacity, I mean, we haven't had rain now in, what, a month almost? And so that resource eventually is going to run dry, especially with the amount that we're running right now for growing purposes. So at the same time, then we'd just be pumping more water back in, and it'd be the same situation that we're in now, mm -hmm. just with more uncertainty of the water quality that we'd have. Yeah. That's, I, the last club I was at, we used our ponds for, or we were, we had the ability to use our ponds for irrigating and we could move water from one pond to the other to pump water out of it. Um, but, and we had fairly large capacity, but it allowed us to irrigate two, three days max out of those ponds. And when that was out, we were buying water from the city and pumping it into our ponds. Um, and so when you're in a drought situation, two, three days, you know, it really doesn't, it isn't really a drop in the bucket um, on, on what you're needing to spend on water anyway, regardless. Um, I would say that for us to have to dig the ponds out to be the capacity that would even make a difference to install new dams because mm. we would have to retain, we would have to better retain that water than the system that we currently have in order to protect the homes around us and, yeah. and the waterways properly. Um, and then installing a new pump station and that whole new system as well, the cost of all of those items, I don't know when we would see that return on investment, if ever. If ever. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's the the long and short of that answer. Um, that with our current with our situation, it's just not really feasible. Well, and to that point too, because like I I kind of said, um, we'd still have to pay for city water to fill these ponds, and the right. reason that we would still have to pay to fill the ponds is we don't have an aquifer that we can even tap into right. on site. Right, and we were in that same situation at that last club I was at as well. We were spending a lot of money filling our ponds. And then when you, after, I will say too, after you use all your water out of your ponds because you're in a drought situation, nobody wants to look at a dry pond. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we found ourselves then having to fill, fill, not only irrigate our golf course, but fill the ponds back up uh, so that they're not a, a, an eyesore as well. So, And if we had an aquifer and we had a well, there are some around here, but very high salt content right. in that water that you have whole another set of problems to yeah. deal with high salinity bicarbonates mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay thank you for that answer 
Um, I had an answer or a question, a follow-up question on our perimeter fencing. Uh, we had said that we are not replacing that, but we are planting trees along the perimeter. Um, I had somebody ask about if we are planting uh, vines on the current fencing and shrubs to create even more screening and privacy. Yeah, I think uh, short term, obviously, the trees are gonna the trees are gonna do a good job of that to some degree, but. Yeah, ideally, we'd like to continue those plantings all the way well. So we have certain pockets that we do have vines where it does uh, create privacy. And so, yeah, we want to try to continue that to fill in those gaps. Mm -hmm. Okay. We had a question. We talk a lot about the greens, obviously, a big part of this project. Uh, we had a question about the tie what a tie-in is. We say the word tie-in a lot, and we had that question come in. So do you want to answer that? Yeah, so the tie-ins, you know, air quotes. Um, if you think about what the original um, pad of the green was, meaning the original green, when we go to do these green expansions, in order to make it a seamless transition between the two, we do what we call those tie-ins. And so that means we cut back into the existing green to do some leveling or, you know, reshaping of it before we put those back in order to tie in to the new side. Okay. And how are those expansions doing? Uh, for the most part, I mean, they're doing really good. I mean, they've all rooted in really well and just stabilized themselves. We've, um, we've got to the point with all of them, we're now kind of rolling them out, mowing, mowing them all. Um, inevitably, just around the edges, you're gonna have some hot spots because they're just exposed mm -hmm. uh, a little bit, but otherwise, I'm pretty pleased with where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, we are also moving, this isn't a question, I guess this is more so something that Aaron and I had been talking about. This didn't come from a listener, but we are moving our nursery. Uh, you have a sod nursery that's on the range currently with the uh, fairway grass. And so you're taking this opportunity to move that. Can you explain to us why and how that helps you and what your thoughts are there? Yeah, I mean, typically any nursery that you have, you'd like to be able to treat that the same as the rest of your existing turf. With it being on the range as it stands now, we're just not able to do that. Just whether it be, you know, mowing repetitions, you know, whether there's balls completely out there. Um, <clears throat> so moving that allows us to kind of put that in the same route as the rest of them, especially for greens. And then we'll see where we're at if we can create some fairway area too we'd like to do that but it just creates that consistency and we treat them all the same um and it's just not on the range where if we ever have to go out there and grab some plugs or whatever it is you know we're not getting hit at all day <laughs> i usually call it the firing range more than more than that well i for nursery. one am extremely excited about this change yeah <laughs> yeah how does that impact you aaron well absolutely so um since Dane tried to replant the nursery with the new fairway grass um, as kind of his first test plot this, uh, I think he did it in late June, uh, we have not been able to take the picker out on it. So it's been all hand picking. So um, we have to time when we can go do that when people aren't hitting. Um, uh, my daughter Lydia has been uh, doing some work for us, uh, picking the driving range. So that's kind of her job to handpick that. Thanks to and, Lydia. And Thank I'm not you. putting her out there when anybody's hitting. Yeah. So, um, and then this, the second part of it is when the sod's actually harvested to be used on the golf course, that leaves mud mm. or dirt before it can be replanted. And I'll never forget, we 
we needed that area in 2019 ahead of the Principal Charity Classic. We ended up that week with um, nine inches of rain into 10 days prior to the PCC, and we had nothing but mud. We had to go in on that um, on that nursery and cover it with the green meshing that we wrapped the uh, grandstands around. So we inef- inevitably had a huge waterbed that week, and uh, the range was so wet, we could only handpick that area. It was... Uh, it was bad. So I've got some battle scars from that, and I'm beyond excited. Thank you. Yeah. How often do you pull from the nursery? Uh, it just varies. And so if, if you've got any mechanical damage, which we haven't necessarily have had, but uh, I mean, <clears throat> we'll probably use every bit of it going into next year. Just, sure. you know, random, whether it be some of the new greens or some pockets here on right. some of these soda greens, like I said, on the edges or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we're making all this work is we originally budgeted for 35,000 square feet of greens, and it looks like we're coming in somewhere around 32,400 or something like that. So that gives us the, the ability to build a, call it a 2,500 square foot nursery, which would be really nice. Okay, great. Um, as the seed is coming in, as, every, as we see germination happening on the fairways uh, and on the greens that we're seeding, um, you can see visibly that there are some weeds in those areas on the bunker faces and on the fairways. Uh, as that comes in, that's not a concern to you? Not at all. Okay, so tell us why. Well, if you think about it, I mean, um, so obviously we put the seed on the ground, but you have to take into, into consideration what is the seed bank in the soil. So while we haven't been irrigating these areas, I mean, you get some areas that have some goosegrass or uh, purslane. I mean, that's what's popping out there right now. We try to spray those and clean those up before we go seed. But, you know, as soon as you start throwing water to some of these areas, whatever seed bank is into that ground, whether it be the seed that you put there, or weed seed or whatever it is, I mean, that's obviously going to germinate too. So... It's just one of those things you have to accept in terms of this growing aspect of it. But then the main idea is that you fill in all this turf to a degree where you cover up all the, the space there. And then as we go into next year, we spray pre-emergence, you know, to hold those um, back. And then once we get into regular mowing habits, you know, that inevitably takes care of things. And so right now, this is just a grow-in aspect where anything and everything that has seed on the ground will germinate and we just have to live through it through the grow-in aspect of it. I mean if you know you think about you know pesticide usage anyways but you know what is your threshold so if we get to a certain point where we feel like you know this weed coverage that we have in the fairways which we don't right now it's just kind of spotty here and there but if we felt to a degree that that would inhibit the turf grass to actually, you know, take over and fill in on its own, then we would 100% go spray it. Mm-hmm. But as it stands now, we're just talking about, you know, one here, one there. So Yeah, it is predominantly bent grass yeah. out there. There's not a lot of weeds, but uh, it is, like you said, we're, it's growing. It's in a growing season and everything's growing. And you cannot go in and spray that young bent grass with anything yet. No, we do have some products that we can spray, but you can't spray those until at least four weeks after you plant. Mm. Um, but at the same time, those are very expensive. And, you know, that's where I kind of, you gauge your threshold. And if you're not to that point, then you just, you know, keep trying to fill in. Naturally, 
you know, we get into the fall, and if we've got a really good stand, those weeds will die out with frost and cooler temperatures, and then that's where we can try to take advantage of that, fill those gaps in, and go from there. What about on the greens? We, we reused our sod uh, for the greens and then kept our greens and just added expansions, and we had some poa in the greens. What about uh, the treatments that you've done on that? Has that are you, have you been happy with that? Yeah, I think for the most part it's been pretty interesting. It's really just all, you know, hyper, well, I guess, yeah, hypothetical and experimenting to some degree. I mean, we've tried a, a number of different things, whether just mechanically going out there with soil probes or cup cutters and pulling those and just getting rid of them and filling them with sand. And, you know, from everything we've done, those have all filled in. You know, we've tried dabbers with that glufosinate, and that scared me a little bit, so we stopped doing that. But that's still, even still healing in at the moment. And outside of that, you know, we've been using a, you know, prior to seeding, we were using a growth regulator called Tremit, uh, which, you know, is a poignant suppression. But um, what we would do is we would spray the greens with this product. It would inhibit the poem, but then we would let, so you think about the, I guess, plants, you know, ebb and flows of uh, their life cycle. And so the plant will metabolize this product and then once that it metabolizes all that it can then it comes out of regulation and so what we're doing is we're basically regulating these greens with growth suppression and then letting them come out of it in order for them to hopefully fill in a little bit more over top of the poa and i think everything that we've looked at like i said i think higher heights of cut have helped out it keeps the bent grass healthier um, and then inevitably with the heat humidity Poet chokes itself out a little bit too. The bent grass takes over. So I think we've made gains, I guess is where I'm going. Kind of interesting because this year where we're not, there's no play, um, allows you to take the time you need to address that. Yeah. Because you can do a little bit of a higher cut. You can do do a few experimentations if you need to and and take the time to really do what you need to do. Interesting. Um, what about the fescue? I know we're seeding uh, fescue as well uh, in native areas, uh, if you will. What are you? What can our members expect to see in those native areas? I think, uh, well, first and foremost, when you're installing these native areas, I mean, in order for them to really get the look that you're wanting them to get to, I mean, it's not just a you plant it and you're good to go. It's a process, and so. You know, our expectation that these areas that we are planning, um, they might have some coverage, but it's going to be, you know, a three-year process to get them really where we want to and get those aesthetics that we're really looking for. But, um, and it's not necessarily a problem, but um, a lot of situations you might, you know, have a higher seed rate and then these areas grow on extremely thick and that's not exactly what we're looking for. What we're still looking for is a kind of a thinned out stand where you could walk through it, find your ball easily. Um, and so what we're doing right now is airing on the side of low seed rates. And so, you know, for a new establishment, um, the seed blend that we're using recommends five to eight pounds per thousand. But as I think about that, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of seed for some research that we've done. So what we're doing is actually going at four pounds per thousand. And so we want to see how that reacts, knowing that we can always add more seed 
you know, should we need to, as opposed to getting too thick and having to scalp our way out of it or thin it out mechanically or anything like that. And or if we feel like it's a it's a good catch, but maybe just a little sparse, then we just go in there with, you know, whatever it is, just a real light rate of ryegrass or something, just to get ground cover, mm -hmm. but still maintain our seed stalks. So we're installing a, quite a few native areas, uh, more yeah. than obviously than what we had. Um, what's our what? How many? How much in native areas are we? Uh, per the plan, we had uh, twenty acres of native to be installed. And so while we were trying to do that there in the beginning, what we're now focusing on is just pushing everything towards, you know, areas of disturbance and or bent grass areas. And then what we're going to do is once we get through with that initial seeding all the way through, as we kind of revert back to hit our punch list items, then we're going to start addressing more of these native areas and trying to tie those in more. And then going forward, maintaining these native areas. That's, I think, people often... Um, confuse that with a no maintenance area uh, these are not no maintenance areas you still are maintaining them you are having to do weed control um, how talk us through a little bit of how you'll maintain these areas yeah I mean um, at a minimum we'll be mowing them at least once a month uh, maybe even shorter intervals than that especially here in the beginning but as we move forward, I mean, the idea is that if you ever wanted to get to that seed stock look, I mean, you just let it go, I think, four to six weeks, and then you can get that kind of look. But otherwise, you still want to just maintain it because you don't want it to get too out of control. And then now everything's laying over and just becomes um, <clears throat> a real chore to take care of. But, um, you know, there's still maintenance to it. They're still mowing, like you said, spraying. I mean, especially within these first three years, I mean, there's going to be, I mean, you've got to let these things establish. And so part of it, too, is not really introducing a lot of herbicides. And so they are going to look a little weedy and ratty in the first few years till it really establishes. And then we can start focusing on cleaning them up, spraying pre-emergence and, you know, even two, three applications of pre-emergence a year. And so while they call them native or no-mo, um, low maintenance it's just that's never the reality nothing really that we have on the on a golf course on any golf course is you know low maintenance I would call it uh, what about obviously a young golf course that's growing in is going to have some restricted areas what can our members expect to see as we open next year as far as or what do you anticipate as far as restricted areas um, I think uh, I mean early on we just see how the plant's reacting. I mean, we don't want to just throw all the carts we've got at it right out of the gate. So, I mean, to some degree, I'd say we, you know, have some sort of soft opening or walking only or something like that. And then maybe as we progress through the year, we just pick, um, obviously you'll have your par threes, but, you know, maybe we pick a hole per nine or something like that where we just say it's rough only, you know, and then we switch that every single week. So every eight weeks you kind of give one hole a rest for the week, you know, especially as we just you know, establish this new grass. Mm -hmm. um, it's something we've implemented in the past, and I think, you know, and then when people see, you know, the improvements just by taking carts off of something for a week, I think it kind of explains itself, you know. Um, otherwise, you know, we intend to be in really good shape, mm -hmm. you know, from a playability and aesthetic standpoint. 
And our airification process for next year, uh, you're kind of planning a bit of a different schedule for that process for next year as well. Yeah, Aaron and I need to sit down, but, you know, with a, a new golf course, new grass, I mean, you know, everything that we're investing into, we need to take care of and take care of appropriately. And so that also means, you know, the cultivation practice is necessary. And so in order for us to, it's just really hard at the moment right now because, I mean, as we try to squeeze something into a Monday one day and a Tuesday the next day, that's just not feasible in terms of covering everything that you need to and or just trying to do it in and around play. So Aaron and I need to sit together, down together, but what we were talking about is possibly, you know, closing a nine for a week, you know, Monday through Thursday, opening up on Friday afternoon, and then the next week we would close the other nine for the same process. And then when we do that, we're talking about airifying greens, tees, approaches, fairways, putting down the necessary amendments to follow and giving those time to, you know, you know, especially the amendments melt down and, you know, become active, top dressing, fairways, and, you know, there's a lot that goes into it that you can't just fit in in a day. Mm-hmm. As, and, oh, go ahead. And you're looking at doing that earlier in the year. Typically, we have airified, pulled cores on greens immediately after Labor Day, you're thinking a few weeks earlier? Possibly, yeah. I mean, we'd like to target somewhere in August because same deal as what our intention is to try to put all this seed in the ground to get coverage before POA germinates. It's no different when you do airification. So if we create these holes, you know, in in a time frame where it's more advantageous for POA to germinate than it is for bent grass to fill in, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to keep the population that we've got out there and poa likes cool damp not yeah. hot dry correct okay, okay. well thank you dane yeah. and thank you to all of our listeners for your great questions and keep them coming we're happy to answer them uh as i said we're on the home stretch but that doesn't mean we are by any means uh, done, done. No. and we have a whole just as we're kind of getting into today we're thinking about next year uh, we're thinking about the future we're thinking about what the course opening looks like. We're thinking about how that's going to be, how our members are going to be playing the course when we open. Um, and so home stretch means home stretch for now, but we are looking at the looking at the future of mm-hmm. the course. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we have to look then towards the next how many years as well, because we're gonna have to replace the bunkers in 10 years. So we better be thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> sure, <that too. laughs> no. Well, yeah, there you go. Maybe they'll last a little bit longer this time, so. Um, so yeah, I appreciate both of you answering those questions and we'll, uh, hope to see a bunch more seated this next week and we'll see you next week. Thank you.